But I'm still trying to get the good all right. Because people, people don't want to be sold. No. Like we're in this. No. We're in this amazing state in our economy with our buyers. Yeah. Even when they know they have a problem, they just don't want to be sold. They want to digest information. This is the most educated buyer we've ever had. It's crazy, isn't so it? So podcasts, yeah. they're going on to solve, to solve their problem, right? They want to digest information that's going to make their life better. Yep. So where we've had great success is I don't sell our services. I don't even talk about anything. I just pour into the audience yeah. what it is that we do, and, or sorry, not what we do, but um, like all of our thought leadership and techniques and things that are tangible for them. So after every podcast, I get, well, depending on the audience size. Yep, of course. John Barrows, I, after John Barrows, I got hundreds of messages. Yeah, Barrows is a rock star. Hundreds. Yeah. Of messages from that, and people were just like blown away by it. But I never talked about the messages. What's up, podcast family? I'm Joe Lemon. Welcome to the Real Value Exchange. As you can tell how we started off, this is going to be one of those episodes that you want to just dive into and really catch this energy that Mary Grothy laid down on this episode. So she's the CEO of SalesBQ. They help build companies by laying out sales systems and different marketing systems and identifying top talent to help carry out the vision, right? And we dive into a lot of different things here. So she has her own podcast called The Quota Crushers. So she's really well on the mic. And we talk about this whole strategy around podcast guesting. This is something that I've been playing around with over the past year and a half or so and really, really see how it's impacting people to help close large deals, especially in that five-figure, six-figure range type of type of deals where it takes a little bit more strategy and you have to bring in some influencers and you got to get multiple people to the table. This is a killer way to go about doing it. She also is dominating on LinkedIn. That's how I linked up with her. She, she has closed over $700,000 from LinkedIn business. So if you guys think that social media is still a game, I'm not sure who, who you guys are, but if you're out there and you're not respecting it and you're not looking at these platforms like podcasting or you know Instagram or LinkedIn and people are building these companies off of, man, you're missing the boat. So we're going to have fun with this. She's going to give you a lot of information. She has a really good way of identifying top talent. Talk about whether this is, if you want to build up someone, is it more of a nurture versus nature type of setup? And can you really identify drive? And now I know this is something that for a lot of people that listen to this, they're in healthcare, right? Because I'm in healthcare, so I, that's where I draw a lot of my audience. And I tell people, man, I'm like, man, this is something that I think healthcare provider, a clinician or any type of practitioner, and you don't have any type of ways that you can speak your truth. I think when I talk, when I talk about sales, it gets a little confusing and people automatically think of this used cars salesman tactics. But if you're not speaking your truth to your ideal audience, whether that's patients or whether that you are selling used cars, and you're talking to people that are trying to buy cars, then you're really missing it. Right. So, you know, speaking your truth and putting and trying to position yourself as a thought leader is what I am really trying to do with this uh, platform with the whole real value exchange and Mary Grothy is one of the pure examples of how that can work for you. So if you're interested in that, listen then, stay tuned to that. She's going to drop and you can even pull away how she's just giving away information. It's not about trying to close you in this conversation. And if you're interested in being a part of that community, I've launched a whole community called the Real Value Exchange Network. So join it. Come on in with us. Drop your information. Go to realvalue.exchange. And you can easily be, you know, added to our list. So as people are looking for guests, are you, or if you're a podcaster and you're looking for key people to have on your show, 
this is what this whole community is about. Podcasting is a little bit fragmented. It's like the uh, it's like the wild wild west of, of <laughs> when it comes to building content. And my goal is to try to simplify that with this community. So, with that said, guys, I, I think you guys just need to hear this. You got to hear our conversation. Please reach out to Mary. If you found this valuable, if you thought she was giving you some good heat, let her know about it and keep spreading the word about the Real Value Exchange. It is always much appreciated. I the chandelier in the entryway. I did like the chandelier. It was it was definitely like a nice touch, you know what I mean? I normally go into most places that it's like the beige walls, you know what I mean? Or just like the, the regular boring carpet. And, you know, you guys have an awesome training center too, it looks like. So thank you. I want to dive into all this. I want to talk about how you're rebuilding companies. I want to talk about your podcast guesting experiences. And you're also crushing it on LinkedIn. So Let's kind of dive into all that, but one thing I want to start off with so the audience can really get to know you and really feel you and understand what you're about is if, tell me like one of your core values that you live by. Oy. If you had one that you just said, okay, give rid of all the rest of these, but one thing I, I, I definitely want to kind of roll into and just kind of last, what's one thing that you would kind of die on? Yeah, I spent a lot of my career steamrolling and running over people and doing anything to be number one, and I wasn't the nicest person. Mm. And I look back at that period in my life, and it brings almost sadness to me mm. because I grew up with this understanding that you had to do anything that it took to compete, be number one. Uh, a lot of it for me was based on survival. And I was not a humble person in my 20s. And in fact, I had a lot of fuel from people that said they didn't believe I could do it. And so for me, I would just jump in as far as I could and, and do whatever it took. And I look back and I realize that now what's most important to me is doing right by others. And it's pretty amazing as a high driver early in my 20s when I just didn't have that wisdom and humility and truly understand how to not only be an incredible professional, but also be a remarkable human being. Um, I, I was losing, even though I was winning. And what really transitioned for me late into my 20s and early 30s is doing right by other people. Now I feel like doing whatever it takes is still okay, but to do that ethically and with love and to serve others through the process. So we've got a saying here at SalesBQ, we don't care how much money we make. We don't care about our top line revenue. The only number that we focus on is how much we grow our clients' revenue. And our, our core uh, mission statement is that their lives are better because we're in it. But that's the one thing that I live by. And if I go to bed at night and rest my head on that pillow, my heart will literally feel like it is overflowing when I know that I've made other people's lives better that day because we were in it. And, and that's it for me now. That's why you're so damn dangerous. I mean, because honestly, to me, that is one of the things that if you look at some of the top growing companies today, they're 100% customer centric or client centric or however you want to kind of phrase it. But they give a damn about people other than themselves first, right? And um, I love that, man. So, all right, let's talk about your actual background because I, I've heard a little bit of your conversations on previous podcasts. I think it's phenomenal, and I think it really ties in well to why you're winning right now. So if you don't mind, tell me where you're from, how you came up, and all the rest of that good stuff. Yeah, it's a great story. I love telling it. It's yeah. my story. I'm passionate about it. I wouldn't change a thing. I've shared this story a few times on a couple of podcasts, and I it's amazing the response that I get afterward with messages, people reaching out and being thankful that I was honest and vulnerable and, and sharing the truth behind it. And it's cool. And I'd love to bring that to your audience as well. But I, I had a rough upbringing. My childhood was certainly not glamorous and it was very difficult. But through fighting for survival, I won't get into the details, it was rough. But when I was 
by the time I was 18, I was out of the house, fully supporting myself. I was actually supporting myself when I was 16, but officially out on my own by 18 and just doing whatever I needed to do in the world to make it happen. And I, a part of that was working about four or five part-time jobs at the same time, just awesome. to make ends meet and also try to save money and be responsible and build a life for myself. But I found a staffing company because I wanted to get out of a lot of the part-time jobs were having me work till two, three o'clock in the morning. Mm. It wasn't sustainable. I was tired all the time, but I found a staffing agency that got me connected with a payroll and HR company, a big Fortune 1000 company. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about the professional work environment, but when I interviewed with that sales manager, he saw this fire in me and this potential. I didn't even know it was there, but he brought me on as a sales admin. I worked for him for two years. I learned the trade of sales. I was immersed in the culture. We happen to be the number one team in the country. Wow. So I learned from the best and I learned everything about sales infrastructure, building high performing sales teams. I got to see everything from a a big CRM migration. I actually got to have a hand in that from act to Salesforce. And I got to watch him build sales playbooks and bring fresh content for every sales kickoff. There were two sales kickoffs per year in, in that team. I got to watch him with his recruiting strategy, bring in a level sales talent and then be in the field with the team. But I also watched him, how he came in as a leader and how well-respected that he was, but two years of this, and we created a, a very strong personal learning development plan, personal and professional. I took Dale Carnegie sales training classes, which yeah. I swear by for foundational sales training. They're, they knock it out of the park. I studied Brian Tracy as well, but I went into sales after two years as, as an admin. I was 24 years old. I didn't have a degree. I'd never sold anything, but I had this amazing two years of mentorship. I went in, they gave me a $150,000 quota. I ended up becoming the number one rep after 30 days. I sold 758,000 in my first year, which was more than number two and three combined. And the best part is it was a lot of adversity and a lot of people thinking that I couldn't do it. And as I said in the opening of this, I had that chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I said, watch me. One more person tell me I cannot do this. I had an upbringing of survival. Mm-hmm. And with that, it translated perfectly into this beautiful career in sales. But unfortunately, my pendulum swung too far in that direction. So I became a a bit of a crazy monster, but I still love the (laughs) life and I don't regret any of it. My second year in sales, I, they doubled my quota and they cut my territory in half and they gave me a responsibility, which I was so honored to have it of coaching and training managers and reps across the country so that we with your quota. with my, with a double quote. Well, yeah, I don't care about quota. That's something I, I, I laugh when I get quota. Like, haha, okay. <laughs> I set goals for myself. I crushed my quota. You can look at my LinkedIn profile. I have years with three, 400% of quota. Um, but anyway, you know how companies work, right? The more you sell, the higher your quota goes. Course, so that never goes, goes down. down. Yeah, never. But I had five years with that company. Second year, I sold 850000 in the territory and continued to excel. But I left in 2011 and took an equity position in one of my clients, VP of sales and marketing. I just had so much knowledge from the first two years as an admin, watching my manager build that sales department. And I took that into a small company. They were uh, about 125,000 annual revenue, very small, just getting getting their feet wet and getting started. And I was able to quadruple the company's revenue in seven months. We brought in a sales team. We built all the infrastructure, dabbled in marketing as well. And that's when I fell in love with it. I said, okay, this is like a superhuman talent and a passion and I wanna do this for three years I helped very small companies entrepreneurs that some of them weren't even in revenue yet Mm. we worked I had a very very small team at that time we had 36 companies that we helped in three years 
all of them grew revenue. But I was working with very small companies, entrepreneurs that wanted to pay me on Hope and King Super's gift cards. That's a grocery <laughs> store for those of you <laughs> not here locally. And I met the my now method, husband, yeah. went back to the payroll and HR company, three years, crushed it, sold millions, hmm. got a house, had a baby, and a really big, fat six-figure commission check. And on that, um, I, I, I vary with a, with a lot of uh, gratefulness and gratitude in my heart. I resigned from that career and I said, this is it. There's no plan B anymore. And I resurrected my consulting firm. It's called SalesBQ now. And we have successfully rebuilt over 50 sales departments in the last 18 months and grown our clients revenue like you can't even imagine. So that's my background. That's who I am. We've got a team of 10 and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's a phenomenal story. Phenomenal story. And you know, so a couple of quick questions out of that because one, um, you know, if you look at today's current world, right, especially with how college is moving, you didn't go to college. You're killing it in sales. Do you think when you see a lot of these other, um, you know, larger companies looking for top talent, do you have to have an actual degree to kind of be in sales these, these days or is it overrated? It's overrated, but funny story on that. Mm -hmm. My manager said, you have to get your degree. Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing what's called clepping, C-L-E-P. I clepped out of about 90% of my associate's degree. So this is where you bought a book on a subject, you cram over the weekend, and then you go in Monday morning at the library and you test out. And you test out of three, four, five, six, seven, whatever credits at a time. So I clepped that first year that I was working for the company. I clepped through my associate's degree. I only had two classes that I had to take, and I did that through University of Phoenix. I thought I was done. Mm -hmm. I said, look, I did it. And it was the hardest experience. My sounds, weekends sounds were gone, crazy. right? <laughs> yeah, but I did yeah, it. Yeah. And then he said... Now go get your bachelor's. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And he told me, he said, you will never regret having this. But this was back in 2007. Mm -hmm. And it's changed a lot, right? Yeah. So I said, fine, with this look <laughs> of disgust in my face and anger. But I trusted him. Yeah. And I did University of Phoenix. And I did an online program. So here I am. I'm 24 years old. I'm making between $150,000 and $200,000 a year. Which, by the way, 24 years old. Not one of my friends or peers was even, I mean, they're still like bartending, right? Yeah. And I was working at Starbucks. So for me, and they had their college degrees. So for me, I'm sitting there thinking this is so backward yep. because I'm number one in the country. I'm making all this money. And I would sit there at night crying, drinking a martini and eating Cheetos and writing a paper. <laughs> I'm like, this is the worst experience of my life. But I did it. The one thing about a college degree that I think is very well respected mm -hmm. is that it takes a lot of hard work to make it happen. So I think there's a precedence with employers. So I'm an employer. When I bring in people, I have a couple of people without degrees here and I have a couple of people with degrees. If they don't have the degree, I want to find comparable experience where they've shown that tenacity and grit and perseverance, that they've taken on big, difficult projects, that even when it wasn't comfortable for them or they didn't have the money to do it and they figured it out. So there are attributes about actually getting that degree that are more important to me than having the degree itself. And I think that that's what employers are looking at. Have I ever used my degree? Absolutely not. Right. I mean, it was right. a complete joke while I did it, but I have it and yay. Woohoo. Now I work for myself. So whatever, no one's ever going to look for it. But yeah, I think it's, I think employers are shifting their mindset as they look at it. And I think there are ways that when people interview, they can just address it early yeah. on and say, 
I don't have a degree, but I'm going to tell you how my experience and what I've gone through that's comparable to that, that would allow you to still consider me and look at me as an equal, if you will, to people who have a degree. It's just all how you handle the objection as part of that conversation. thousand percent agree. I mean, I mean, you know, it is kind of interesting kind of seeing how it's changing, especially with the cost of college keep going up and up. And it's hard for people to kind of justify the real ROI on it. I'm just like, ah. but you know, I think there is some weight still with it, right? So um, let's dive into it. I want to talk about how you're rebuilding some of these companies, how you're finding some of these top talent. Can it, I mean, and the, the whole big question for me, is it nature versus nurture when it comes to, you know, finding that right driven person? Like, is it something that you have to be born with or is it something that you can kind of train up along the way? What's your, what's your thoughts on finding top talent for that? Yeah, I just released a LinkedIn article that you can look up, audience mm-hmm. can look up, and it was the top three attributes of, of sales performers. So top sales performers, what do they have? And I do feel like from a from a nature standpoint, what are you born with? I look at that relentless pursuit of, of winning fueled by hating to lose. Mm. And I know that I can look at my top performing reps versus underperforming reps. And at SalesBQ, we get brought into organizations. We work with teams and like clockwork, you have a couple of people that are doing great, a yep. couple of people that need some help and a couple of people that probably shouldn't be there or even be in sales in general, right? right. And we look at, and there's so many different things that you can look at in evaluations and analysis of what the difference is. Like clockwork, I can identify just purely based on their inner desire to crush it in a sales role. Hmm. Because it's interesting. There's a mindset with top performers. Like I told you earlier about quota. Quota is a joke to top performers. So like, yeah. whatever, just assign me whatever you need because I know I'm going to be in the top 10, which is if you're in the top 10, you're way above quota or top 25 or whatever that, that marker is. They don't, mediocrity doesn't exist in their mind and failing certainly doesn't exist. So they, they, they can't even operate out of high gear and the relentless, relentless pursuit of winning is fueled by that inner competition, that desire to be number one, that intrinsic motivation, but also they hate losing. They have such disgust for finding that they lost a deal that they'll do everything that it takes throughout the process to win because they have so much hatred of losing and it fuels them. So I look at that top attribute, but second, I look at passion, conviction, and enthusiasm. People don't want to buy from mediocre salespeople. And when your presentation is monotone and boring and scripted, and you're not excited and passionate about what the heck you sell, like I sold payroll people. (laughs) There's nothing exciting about payroll, but I walked out of so many presentations with CFOs and VPs of HR. They say, geez, if you can be that excited about payroll, it must be good. I'm like, it is good, right? There was no denying that I was confident in the conviction that transfer of enthusiasm for me to my buyer. They loved it. That's a top performer. Can that be taught? I believe that it can. Hmm. I think that people can work on their presentation. I think that reps need to be open to having their current presentation recorded and watch it on a playback and they need to observe themselves in a sales meeting and have a great sales coach or manager be able to dissect it with them and help them understand where they're falling short where they're misreading the audience where they could have brought in a little more oomph and passion where they're not hearing objections correctly or maybe they're playing it safe and they're not asking the big bold assertive questions there are things that they're missing in that presentation step that will fuel them to be a top performer But the third one that I think is a top attribute of a performer, and this is absolutely taught, Mm. is product, industry, marketplace, and competitive knowledge. Mm. 
People don't buy from mediocre salespeople. So when you're in the middle of a presentation and they ask you if your product or service can do something, you say, oh, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Let me write that down and I'll go get an answer for you. The great okay. question response. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Like, please stop saying that. Yeah. But honestly, I get it. Everybody has a ramp in their role and in their career. Early on, you're not going to know everything. But if you task yourself with putting in a little extra effort and hours, shadowing some demos, sitting with some subject matter experts in your office, shadowing other people, sitting with operations, doing an implementation or two, take it upon yourself. Don't wait for your company to say, we're rolling out a new module in the LMS, the learning management system, and everyone needs to become certified in this. Like, don't wait. Tackle it yourself, own it, own your success, learn it, master it, and get it done. But for me, I learned the technology inside and out. I knew it better than some of my implementation and operations partners. So sometimes it, you know, yeah, bit me, right? Because <laughs> I sold something that my ops team was like, what is this, Mary? And I had to sit with them and I gladly did it, right? Because I'm all about serving the customer. So I, I was writing imports and mapping fields for GLs and what whatnot, wow. but, but I did it. So I think understanding your product better than anybody else and the marketplace and the competition people want to buy from a trusted resource when you look at the trust equation it's your credibility plus business intelligence over psi which is perceived self-interest when you walk in to a meeting or you're on a call as a salesperson the buyer looks at you that you have a perceived self-interest that you're there to make money and salespeople lie and unfortunately that's what we deal with right so how do you lower that perceived self-interest? You come in with credibility, clout, business intelligence, you speak well, you understand their day in the life, you know your product inside and out, there's then no denying that they can trust you. And that's where sales are made. So those three attributes, I firmly believe that there's both nature and nurture. The nature, if you don't have that hunger, yeah. you shouldn't be in sales because you'll always be wondering why you're missing your quota or why people don't buy from you or why. But I watch salespeople sometimes roll in at 8.30, 9 a.m. Like, come on, people. Go work in another profession. If you want to be a salesperson, you've got to own that. You've got to bring that hustle. You need to come in. You need to perform. You've got to have that hunger. So that one I just think is part of who we are as people. I don't really think that it's taught. Now, I think there are circumstances in life that can cause somebody's life circumstance to change, which can maybe they didn't have that early in their upbringing, but they have it later in life. But then as far as the other two, I believe that you can learn those. Dude, I mean, um, honestly, you killed that. I'm going to have to play that back so I can get those three points because literally, like, I think that it is always both, right? And things happen, life shifts, people get motivated, people get unmotivated for all different types of reasons. Um, but being able to keep it consistent and make it last, I mean, that's where it's at. So, you know, you actually call your company Sales BQ. And I mean, everybody knows about IQ. Everybody's talking about EQ now. But BQ is something that's kind of, I think, emerging. So do you mind kind of pressing into that for a little bit too? Oh, I don't mind at all. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> BQ, the behavioral quotient. This is behavioral yeah. intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be releasing a free quiz on our website in December. And we're going to allow people to go on and take a quiz and find out what their sales BQ score is. And we rate in four different areas. So we look at BQ, the behavioral intelligence, behavioral quotient. How you think is step number one. This is mental mindset. How you think determines how you feel. And when you're, we are all human beings, so emotionally, 
we tell ourselves stories. So facts enter our mind and we create a story around it, which evokes certain emotions and those emotions and how we feel will dictate our actions. And that's a pure BQ. So the actions are what we execute on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of things can hinder BQ. If you don't like your sales manager, if you just lost a deal and you're upset about it, if you don't like the culture in your office, if you think your product or service is behind that in the marketplace and your competitors, you're already thinking negatively, which is fueling negative emotion. So you're already down before you even start your day. So it hinders your actions. The BQ is the component that's the make or break because you can be super smart. You can have all the passion and conviction and enthusiasm. You can be a great salesperson, but if you don't actually make the dials, if you don't actually show up to work and Mm -hmm. give it everything, if you don't prioritize your day, if you're not a step ahead of your competitors in the sales process when you know you're competing and getting that executive summary and proposal out first and, and getting ahead of price conversations and implementation, if you're not doing those tiny little actions, you won't be a top performer. But the last part is performance. So that's what completes the cycle. So how you think fuels how you feel, which fuels your actions, which dictates your performance. And if you think your performance then goes right back into how you're thinking and it affects your mindset. So this is a cycle for top performers. Someone with very high BQ is going to start their day and how they think. They're already going to be excited. They're prioritized. They are prepared. They've done their pre-call planning. Everything's in order. They have backup plans of a meeting cancels, reschedules. They know exactly how they're going to go about their day. They're already telling themselves that they're, they're setting up to win for the day. There is no plan B. There's no option. They're tackling it. No excuses. Everything's good. Well, then their emotions are great. They're in a good spot. They're excited. They're happy. They're optimistic and they're ready. They have all the energy in the world. Their actions, they're executing every single step of the process. Nothing is falling through the cracks. They are all over their business. They own it. So what do you think their performance is? It's amazing. It's the roof. It's Correct. Yeah. But if you have negative BQ, if you have a low BQ score, how you think you're waking up in the morning, you already have a negative mindset. You're fresh. You're like, oh, today I have my one-on-one with my manager. Yeah. I can't stand that person. Yeah. She drives me crazy. Oh, he's going to be all up Somebody's in my business. Out for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I don't need to go through it, but you understand when you go through all that, that's where your performance is hindered. So BQ is the behavioral quotient. It's actually get up, go execute, make it happen. And it's fueled by those first two things. And of course, it dictates that performance. Dude, I love it, man. I love it, man. So, so you know, um, You've brought already so much heat to the actual conversation. There's so much value being dripped all over this actual podcast. But we are a podcasting agency, and I've been asking a lot about trying to figure out hacking away at the podcast guesting movement. I know that you're dropping value, and that's this is honestly, this is going to be one of my examples of, of how you go about doing it. Because you come to the audience, you're dropping information. We're not trying to, you know, there is no like funnel or anything that you're trying to put anybody in. There's no sales pitch that you're giving me or to the audience. You're literally just giving this away for free. And I think that's the best way to go about doing any interview, right? So tell me about some of your results that you've been having with podcast guesting. Because you've obviously been killing it, dropping content. I know you've been killing it on other people's podcasts and you've had some real ride. Let's talk about it. The podcast strategy that we've had, it came out of nowhere. I didn't Hmm. even know it existed, but I (laughs) love doing speaking engagements. I get to do keynotes across the world and I really love that. I noticed that that helped our top of funnel because people wanted to learn more, but it's crazy how I'm wired. I did a presentation not long ago Hmm. and we had a new slide deck. My name wasn't even on it. That is how (laughs) much I don't sell when I'm presenting. And it's not even in the forefront of my mind. And I think I'm wired that way because... I have sat through as a sales performer. I've had 
my companies bring in trainers or consultants. I've paid money to go to a conference and I get super annoyed because I sit there and all I'm doing is listening to a sales pitch. And I think I could have just gone on your website and read what you do and made a defined decision. Right. But to have to sit here, especially if I paid money to be there and they're going to be selling me something, I hate it so much. I think my inner being steers me away from doing that. But it is pretty funny. That's a good story. Afterwards, some lady shook my hand and she said, you know, I, I just never saw your name and you didn't even like introduce yourself and <laughs> your company. She was, I had no idea. And I thought, okay, all right, Mary, you've got to get it together because that's not good, right? But the podcast strategy, when we first started it, I was thinking to myself, nobody wants to listen to a podcast to hear what I do for a living. They can just go to my website. Very first podcast that I did, uh, oh my gosh, it blew up afterwards. Who was it, if you mind me asking? Brian Burns. Oh, Brian's the man. He He's killer. He is yeah. the man. And we got inbound leads like I couldn't even imagine. And I think during that podcast, I was just authentic and raw. I wanted to hear the story. How did I become a number one rep? What was I doing? Holy smokes. The inbound response was out of this world. And then we one call closed a $50,000 client after that. And that was within maybe a week of it being released. And then after that, we got another call another call and I didn't even talk about what we did for a living so I was shocked but the cool part that I learned from that and I'm seeing it you asked me about LinkedIn as well with my LinkedIn yeah. influence yeah. I just want to love on these people you know they say what they say about words you can bless someone or curse somebody with yeah. your words and I'm a firm believer that I've been gifted with a lot of talent in this area I love sales sales Sounds crazy to say, but it's kind of come easy to me and it doesn't come easy for a lot of people. So that puts me in a position of influence and I want to share the love. I want to spread the love. I want to give everything that I can to these people because I know in turn, if I do right by them, they're going to come back. And I really feel like in this day and age, today's buyer, if you will, I just said some air quotes, buyer. <laughs> I saw them. It's the most educated our buyers ever been. 1000%. Our buyers are digesting content through podcasts because these buyers, we're in a do-it-yourself economy because this generation, especially ours and the one coming up the ranks, they've always been able to find an answer to anything on the internet. And podcasts has just opened that up even more. There's so many amazing thought leaders sharing content. A lot of people now can digest that content and they can solve a lot of their problems on their own through this thought leadership. And so podcasting I think is so powerful because you, you pour into these people, you give them everything. They'll take it as far as they can, but they earn a lot of respect for you and they hear a lot of the good. So it builds that credibility. Remember we're talking about the trust equation. Mm -hmm. So what we have found like through our podcast strategy is my goal is to build trust with the audience. I want them to hear that I'm serious about the work that we do. And there's a lot of credibility backing it and experience. And I believe that they leave after hearing that message saying if they want to learn more, it creates an amazing inbound funnel for us. But then the audience is educated and they heard us. They already like us and they've, we've done the hard part of the sales cycle. They're already at the buying decision part. They just want to know specifics on how we will solve their problem and how much it costs. We don't have to do any of that buyer education. They already came in educated, excited, motivated, and and very, very, very close to making a buying decision. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, hands down, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's one of those times where people are already doing their homework in advance, way in advance. They're asking people. They already have their own network that are, that they're tapping into. They're on Google. They're on your website way before they reach out normally. And so, just having that content where you're just being authentic, how you are sharing your passion that's undeniable <laughs> i mean it's coming through here on the mics honestly i mean like if you can't feel it i can feel it in the room but i'm sure that the audience can feel it as well i mean it's a beautiful thing because then people know that you're serious about your business and you can listen to my podcast you can listen to jay burrows brian burns podcast you have the same energy throughout which i think is which is phenomenal about you so all right where you are about to wrap up 
But I mean, um, you know, what type of legacy are you looking to leave with with Sales BQ? I mean, I think that we opened up so much of values, but just trying to for, just, just trying to put a nice bow on this conversation because you've already added so much value. What are you looking to kind of leave with this company? I look at it with my team right now. We technically are in the world of sales consulting and training, and we employ what looks like a younger team with a lot of diversity, and that is not what you normally see with consultants and trainers. Mm -hmm. Normally, and my personal experience has been working with people much further along in their careers, like to the point of retirement where they've had these amazing careers, now they can enter into consulting. Right. And my problem with that in the world of sales where I've seen some challenges, and again, I'm speaking from my own position as a sales producer, as a top performer, when consultants and trainers were brought in, I'm thinking, when is the last time you actually sold something? Yeah. Seriously. That's such a good point, man. When did you pick up the phone yeah. last? And so I look at my team. And it's team. like dated, yeah. yeah it is, on. it is. It's, mm. it's dated, it's not real, it's not relevant, you can't implement it right away. And when I'm so passionate about with the team that we've built here at SalesBQ is we have plucked the world's best out of their high-performing sales management, sales director roles, or early VP of sales career. And what we've done is we've given them a phenomenal training program to learn and, and fill in the gaps and holes of a true high-performing VP of sales, which is what we're fractional VPs of sales. And then I plug them into a sales department that's underperforming and needs help. But I'm pulling people that, out of the trenches that were just coming out of a career where they were on the phones with their teams, where they were coaching live in the moment, where they're writing playbooks, where they're redoing scripting and messaging, where they're out in the field and they're dissecting these sales presentations and calls are so hands-on. Mm. And so therefore, they are a great, great, great value add to the CEOs that we have. And that legacy i want to change the look of sales consulting and training i want it i want to turn it on its head i hear oftentimes i'm a 35 year old female ceo and you look at my resume you're going to see two companies that i've worked for on there and i don't have an mba and i haven't taken companies ipos and exits i haven't worked in international business i, I haven't done what most consultants do and oftentimes they look at me and they say really you don't have the resume of so and so and say yep so what else did you need to see? The proof is in the pudding. So the mm -hmm. people that I recruit for this team and the team that we have, the legacy for me is that we need to change the look and feel of this industry and we need to shoot for results. And I want, I'm building this for my team. I want them to have the best careers that they could ever have. I'm so fortunate that at 35, I get to do this every day. This is my absolute dream come true. I tell my team all the time, I mean, right, I own the company, but I tell the team, I'm like, I love working here. I absolutely <laughs> love working here. I love coming to work. And I have not been able to say that throughout my career. And I want them to have it. I don't want them to have to look back at 50, 55, 60 years old and have regrets about trying to climb that corporate ladder and being stuck with all of that. I want them to say, hey, you know, in my early 30s or whatever age that they are, point in their career, that they said, I made the decision to do this and they can have the absolute best time of their lives and contribute to our community of sales departments across the country and impact great change. But that's the legacy I'm going for. Dude, that's a phenomenal legacy, man. I mean, because honestly, as you as you stated, it's so needed. And a lot of times companies are needing real help and they're reaching out to people that have done it. And they were doing it really well, but it might have been a decade ago or it might have been five years ago. And as fast as things are changing today, I mean, technology and the amount of tools that we have at our access, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's crazy. You have to be someone that is, you know, in it. And also 
some of the top performers are always they always have that they always have that dog mentality about them, man. And companies and where where this place is going, and not to be doom and gloom as we're about to close out, but you know, if we're going to a slower type of you know business and you know environment over the next two three years, I'm not sure how how it's going to play. I mean, you got to have that BQ. So let's wrap it up. Please tell everybody how to find you, how the you know how to learn more about Sales BQ. Yeah, we make it super easy. MaryGrothy.com. That's G-R-O-T-H-E and salesbq.com but most importantly let's connect on linkedin just shoot me a note tell me you heard this podcast let's connect and i'd love to uh grow each other's influence in our own network love that love that mary this has been a phenomenal interview thank you so much for coming on to the podcast until next time you guys be phenomenal of B2B buyers want content with more input from industry thought leaders. Launch a podcast and invite influencers on your show to position your brand as an industry leader. Learn more at salesculture.work.